Hello everybody and welcome to the Full Metal Lockdown Podcast, episode 25 actually, although it's the first episode back from hiatus. If you don't know why I was on a hiatus, hiatus, sorry about that, I was on hiatus due to uh, health problems, health issues, I uh, was spent almost a fortnight in bed, uh, but I was bedridden, I couldn't move, I was vomiting every two seconds. Um, I ended up uh, being diagnosed with diverticulitis. If you don't know what diverticulitis is, look it up. Uh, I don't really want to go into explaining it right now. It's rare for someone my age. I wasn't due to anything I eat or anything like that. It wasn't due to my diet, which is pretty good. It has to be, otherwise, like, due to my disorder, I will probably literally die. Um... Yeah, so that was a little bit of it. Then uh, my wife was pregnant, and the pregnancy was a little rough, so I had to tend to her, and then uh, we gave birth, she gave birth, sorry, we had, she gave birth to uh, Augustus Matthew Roberts, uh, we call him Little Augie. Uh, he was roughly eight pound, but uh, about two days after he was born, he was airlifted to Canberra Hospital, uh, where he uh, was quickly medically cleared. He was airlifted because he didn't poo for the first 52 hours of his life. Uh, most babies do it within the first 24, and, that's, and even then that's pushing it. They do it before then, usually. Uh, his body started reabsorbing it, and he started to go yellow, which is called jaundice. Uh, because of that, he was airlifted. And then uh, my sister and I went to go get my wife and my son from the Canberra Base Hospital. And on Northbourne Avenue in Canberra, someone... Uh, I think ran a red light, I can't say for sure, but I know our light was green, and T-boned us, uh, wrote their car off, luckily we were in an SUV, so we were sitting up a little bit higher, and I ended up tearing the muscles in my back, uh, yeah, and then got home and yeah, bad luck has ensued, but now that I'm feeling a little bit better, and a little bit more on the mend, I'm wanting to bring the show back. Now that I say that, let's pick the show up a bit more, shall we? Let's get this show started. Let's kick it off a little bit. Uh, on the show today, I have a very, very cool interview with Mr. Andy Marsh from They Are Is Murder. What a way to kick the show off back from hiatus, eh? I mean, uh, when I did the interview with Andy, it was roughly 7, 7 or 8 p.m. here in Batemans Bay, Australia. He was in New York, in New York, in uh, America. And it was roughly, by the time the interview ended, it was 6.30 and we were on the phone for over an hour. So, yeah. Big props to him because he was the one that wanted to do it at that time. I was happy to uh, wait until he had a bit of sleep, but not. He's a consummate professional and he wanted to do it. He said we'll do it at that time, so he wanted to keep to his schedule. And I applaud him for that. It was one of the funnest interviews I ever did. Uh, I ended up 
going off topic a lot of times and just chatting with him for a fair few times. It's actually a pretty good interview. But, uh, yeah, we were supposed to have two interviews today. One, two reasons why there's not two interviews today. One, uh, the interview with Andy ended up being more than 40 minutes long. It ended up being over an hour long, even though I originally <laughs> planned it to be 40 minutes. Uh, like I said, we got caught up talking to each other, and I can talk with the best of them. And uh, the other interview, the other interview E, I think is the right word, uh, is currently overseas in a uh, third world nation. Believe it or not. So uh, he is unreachable at the moment. And hopefully that happens when he gets back. Uh, we're just trying to catch each other pretty much. And yeah, we'll organise something for when he gets back. But uh, I dropped a few hints on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, that he is not a musician, but he is in the entertainment industry. Sorry. Uh, he is in the entertainment industry, technically, uh, and he's not an actor, technically, and he's not a musician, technically, but he is in the entertainment industry, technically. Anyway, uh, what do you say we uh, kick off the show? <laughs> Good to be back sitting in this chair uh, doing the show again. Uh, I went on to it a little bit in the opening uh, while I went on a hiatus. Uh, actually, I didn't go into it a little bit. I went all the way into it. I, I record these segments at different times. Uh, I'm now fitting it around my schedule, which is a lot better. But uh, yeah, pretty much diverticulitis is it attacks my uh, bowels and all that. Uh, it's very rare for someone my age to get it, so I've been told, uh, which is why my doctor was a bit like, no, you don't have it, you definitely don't have it, and then she was a bit like, oh shit, you've got it, uh, well, that, that fucking baffles me, um, yeah, so, diverticulitis, Google it. it, I can't remember how to spell it, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I can't remember how to spell it at all, but, uh, that was why the, the initial reason why I went on a hiatus, and then I was going to, uh, come off, but my gear was broken, uh, not all my gear, my Zoom H4N is fine, but, uh, one of my microphones is being packed away, and it's gone missing, and I can't find it anywhere, uh, one of my mic stands was shattered, uh, and then a bunch of my gear was water damaged, so I had to save up and replace all that on top of, uh, the diverticulitis, which was great, so that was no, reason number two for staying on hiatus, and then reason number three was, uh, my wife's pregnancy with my son was a bit rough, so, uh, I just needed to focus on that at that time, 
And that was reason number three for staying on hiatus. Or reason two for staying. Reason three overall. And then uh, my all that incident that I explained in the opener about my son being airlifted to Canberra. Then uh, being T-boned and ripping all the muscles in my back up. Uh, that was reason number three for staying on hiatus. Reason number four overall. So uh, yeah, that was been interesting really uh i wasn't planning on it i i was actually planning on this being a big year for the show so fuck it we'll close it out well anyway <laughs> at least hopefully we'll uh yeah so uh we actually have a new twitter for the show that is at the fml podcast or one word the fml podcast or one word uh, this is, uh, because I was starting to get spammed on my personal account, uh, so I started this account where I can monitor it and change it from the beginning. I can also let people into this account if they want to be involved in the show in its future. Uh, yeah, so that, once again, is at the FML podcast on Twitter. I don't have an Instagram uh, as of yet, although I've been told I should get one for the show. I don't have uh, any of the other social media bullshit. Apparently, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, but I don't know how to use it or why I'm on it. Uh, that is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm still on MySpace, apparently. Fuck, I'm still on Bebo. <laughs> yeah. That shows you how fucking old I am. Anyway, I shouldn't say that. I'm only 26. But anyway, um, during the hiatus, I would get bored. And I would end up writing articles. Yeah, that's right. I wrote articles. Although, I've just been informed, literally about 10 minutes ago, that my last article was fucked up when I put it up. And I said to them, what do you mean it was fucked up? And they said, uh, some of the words run into each other. And it was fucked up because of it. And I was a little bit off put by that. And so, it's still not fixed. (laughs) Sorry about that. But uh, my latest article was called, The Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. Should there be one, and if so, who should enter first? Um, sorry. Well, my, uh, if you want to read it, it's on my page. It's, uh, pinned to the top of the page, I believe. But, uh, let me go into the gist of it, pretty much. Uh, my... This is a conversation I've had with very large amounts, very few, fuck, how do I say it? I've had this conversation with a lot of drunken fuckheads, and some not so drunken fuckheads, but, uh, (laughs) sorry. Um, yeah, the Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame, who should enter it? My choice for the first entrant would be Mortal Sin. And uh, a few young'uns said, who the fuck are models in? And I wanted to arse-rake them with their headstock of a guitar. Model sin uh, pretty much paved the way for all metal these days. 
uh, and people who in Australia, I mean, uh, people who deny that are naive. Um, yeah, so actually, no, fuck it. To explain it better, I'm going to read the article. Uh, the idea of an Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame has gone through my head before and I brought it up to others too. In fact, I even asked everybody on the Full Metal Lockdown's Facebook and Twitter pages. The ideas sounded great to all involved in the conversation and the con- uh, consensus stopped there. Sorry, like I said, the words are running into each other, so some of them are hard to read. Uh, The conversation moved to who would be the inaugural entrant to this hypothetical Hall of Fame? What would the criteria be for the entry? Uh, For their entry? Sorry, it's uh, like I said, the words are running into each other. How on earth would we choose just one band or artist to go in first? I've stated on social media and I stand by it. I believe the criteria of entry should always should be as follows. The band or artist has to be Australian. That's a given. That's the Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. The band or artist has to be heavy metal or a subgenre. That's also given us the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. The Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. The band or artist has to have recorded in Australia. You don't have to have... You can be Australian but not, and metal but not record in Australia. But uh, at least once. Uh, the band or artist has to released... The band or artist has to have had... An album released in Australia. So pretty much. Doesn't have to be on the ARIA charts. Doesn't have to be on the top 40 charts. It can be independent release. As long as it came out in Australia. The band artist has to have had at least 20 years under their belt. So they have to be at least 20 years old. That's to... So that bands that are flashing the pan bands like... Just say I go out tomorrow and create a band that has one hit and it influenced no one 10 years down the track and it was forgotten about, but I was inducted to the Hall of Fame that year. What had I earned to do that? Nothing. So yeah, uh, if it, if your legacy can last 20 years or more, you deserve it anyway. Uh, those are the criteria points that I believe are valid because they're simple and they're all the... They need to be. And that's all they need to be. I purposely left out any criteria pointing to an album sales. Because, well, you don't need to be a platinum selling artist to be a great artist. British or model scene didn't go platinum. Anyway, uh, people said that I shouldn't have the 20 year rule. So that I could put bands like Parkway Drive. Like, uh, Thy Eyes Murder, who are one of their members is my guest, King Parrot, or Northlane into the Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame as the inaugural entrant, but I stand firm on that rule. I'm not 100% on whether or not they were being serious 
but I have to admit those bands would be first ballot Hall of Famers the day they become eligible, if it existed, that is. The 20-year rule means that the mark they made on the Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame community uh, sorry, the Australian Heavy Metal community has been long-standing and therefore and sorry the words are running into each other let me get instead of reading it all just give you the gist uh, pretty much I say that Model Sin should be in and a few people said that Segression should be in uh, two thing, one actual thing wrong with Segression going in I would love to see them go in, but they haven't been together for 20 years. Next year they will have been, but this year they haven't. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. In either way, if it ever did happen, it wouldn't happen until next year, technically. Anyway, let's uh, continue the show. Get off that topic. If you have any comments on the Australian Heavy Metal Hall of Fame... Uh, the article is on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash full metal lockdown, all one word. Or you can go onto the Facebook page, onto the Twitter page and tell me what a cunt I am for writing that. Uh, that is at the FML podcast. Or you can attack me personally. Uh, go to the old shows to uh, a back catalog to figure out what my Twitter address is. My personal one anyway, but at the FML podcast, if you want to abuse me over that article. Anyway, we're bringing back a segment that uh, we've had in almost every show so far. That segment is called the Band of the Week. And I still say the K hard. Band of the Week. Uh, The Band of the Week this week is... And going in the running for Band of the Year is a band from, uh, where are they from? Do you know where they're from? Yeah, yeah. They're from uh, Maria on the South Coast. Uh, they're from Maria on the South Coast. They're called Toxic Drags. The metal, rock, hard rock, grunge. Uh, they have one... Sorry, their Facebook page is really unwell written. And I purposely said it like that because that's how bad it is. Uh, They have a bunch of members, pretty much. Uh, They've actually performed with Trolled Horgan earlier this year. I know that because I put them on the show. Uh, That was one of the events that I've been involved with, uh, Pitted, which seems to be going well. Uh, even though it, it, it's gone on hiatus, believe it or not. Not for the same reasons, though. But, uh, Toxic Drugs are a band of the week. Go check them out. Their Facebook is facebook.com forward slash, they haven't fixed it up, but, uh, forward slash Toxic Drugs. Facebook.com forward slash Toxic Drugs. And that's T-R-O-X-I-C- D-R-A-G-S. And if you are interested in them, hit them up, book them on a show, do whatever. 
they got 153 people blocking them. So, uh, yeah. Talk to drugs at the end of the week. I actually touched on this in the last segment. Uh, my event period. P-I-T-T-E-D. Uh, it has been running since, ironically, April. That actually had nothing to do with the highest. Uh, started with Scrushin, then, uh, Clowns, then... Who do we have after Clowns? Was it Trollhogan after Clowns? And we had Toe to and most recently Canada Bats all the way from Canada. And, uh... We we were in negotiations with a few others, and the venue that it was being hosted at got sold, uh, which is public knowledge now, and uh, we don't know the fu- didn't know the future of bidded, so uh, we took October off and we cancelled the event that we were scheduling for late October, and then we uh, have now decided to take November off as well. And we're hoping that uh, we will go ahead in December. We haven't got any anybody booked for December. But we're hoping to uh, have December booked soon. And we're going to be calling it Pitmas. Instead of Christmas or Pitted. Uh, we were thinking about doing the obligatory Dime Day thing. Especially because I'm a huge band terror fan. But... Uh, we chose not to because there are already a few dime days. We don't want to get caught up in the uh, hustle and bustle of the whole thing. And we don't want it to be seem like we're taking advantage of that name. We've got our own brand and we're trying to establish our own brand. But uh, yeah, actually one of the biggest things about this hiatus that pissed me off is I missed two interviews that I wanted so badly. I even tried to fight through my sickness to do one of them. But I ultimately could not. Those two interviews were Matt's Cavalera and Dino, and not Dino. Um, I've already interviewed Dino, Vinnie Paul. Yes, let's see how I can get Dino and Vinnie Paul mixed up. One's Mexican and one's not, but they're both. Yeah, you get it. Anyway, uh, so that's pit of future. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, uh, we are going to try and keep it at the same venue in Batemans Bay at the Mariners. And it hopefully will be returning in December. Uh, I'll let you all know. Uh, they appeared advertisers on this show. It's just I ended up going on a hiatus during this show. Um, right now, I also want to bring up something that brought a lot of controversy. A lot of controversy uh, during the hiatus. People attacking me personally saying that, what the fuck does he know? How the fuck is he qualified? I have my diploma in music. Yeah, and I've got 10 years of industry experience. That's how I know some of the shit that I'm talking about. I don't know everything. I don't know a lot of things. But I know some of the shit that I'm talking about. If I'm choosing to write an article on it, it's not because I'm telling you to believe it. It's because I'm expressing something that I think that I want to express. You might have different points of view, which is why I didn't comment on any of the haters. But uh, the big four of Aussie metal. I wrote an article about the big four of Aussie metal. 
and a person who weirdly enough was dressed in his profile picture was dressed in black metal attire but he was pushing for North Lane and Parkway Drive to be added. There was a reason why I didn't add them. I was very tempted to add Parkway, but I wasn't going to add North Lane. Uh, they were they didn't come into it at all. Uh, the, my big four were Model Sin, because they were Australia's very first fresh model band, and I'm paraphrasing to get through it. Instead of reading the full article like I did before, that was stupid. Uh, Model Sin... Because they were Australia's very first thrash metal band. And one of Australia's very first metal bands. Uh, they paved the way for everyone. If it wasn't for them, Parkway might exist. But they might not either. And the other bands on my list might not exist. For that matter. Uh, a Bremelin. Who... Uh, it was between a Bremlin, Damage, Blood Duster, and Parkway, and I chose a Bremlin because they were Australia's very first death metal band, and the death scene in Australia is actually quite huge, and if it wasn't for them becoming what they were, they might not have been a death metal scene in Australia. Um, other, other ones were Dungeon. Who, uh, Dungeon were a power metal band. Uh, they're broken, all three of those are broken up, which is weird. Uh, actually, all four of my big four are broken up. Yeah. But Dungeon ended up morphing into a, uh, kind of morphed into Lord, kind of. Uh, but Dungeon also spawned Soulforge. Which are a great band from Broken Hill. If you get a chance, go to their Facebook page and check them out. I don't know what the address is, but I chose them because they not only they're like Model Sin. They toured the world with Megadeth. Seriously, that alone should get them in there. But uh, they did it before, or after Model Sin, but before everyone, pretty much. They were. They toured with the Big Four. One of the Big Four. Then again, Metal Sim toured with Metallica. The biggest of the Big Four. Uh, and my number four is obvious to me. It's uh, the one of two on that list that are undisputable. Moral Sin to me are undisputable. And everybody agree with me on Moral Sin. But the other one that I find undisputable on that list is Alchemist. Alchemist started a little thing that I like to call metal for the brain. Uh, no, sorry, sorry. Sorry, they didn't start it. They ran it for many years. Morbid Angels started it. That is my bad. And they were a contender for that list too with Undead. But I chose not to pick them. Read the article for more information. And I wrote the article not to uh, tell you that these are the big four and these are who you should pick. I wrote that article to tell you who my version of the big four of Australian metal are. My my decade of experience and my diploma in music made me uh, think that I could write that. And I did. And it got a lot of attention whether people like it or not. Some people agreed with me wholeheartedly. Some people thought I was a fucking idiot and started attacking me personally. But seriously, dude, when you're supporting two bands, but 
you are wearing something completely different. You're either a troll or a fucking idiot. Anyway, um, sorry about that. I don't mean to attack you personally. At the FML podcast on Twitter, if you want to attack me back, you're welcome to. Anyway, um, yeah, it looks like I could actually be starting a second podcast uh, with my friend, uh, a comedian named Jay Later. He's a comedian and a teacher. We'll be calling it the Shakes and Frames show. But, uh, that is Shakes and Frames because I use a walking frame and he shakes. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Uh, it'd be a general interest podcast. Uh, we'll be diving into music uh, if it interests us at that week. Sport if it interests us that week. Wrestling if it interests us that week. Uh, whatever interests us. Hell, it could be strange Scandinavian anal porn featuring a walrus. If it interests us, we will talk about it. Sorry. When I get tired, I start slowing my words. If it interests us, we will talk about it. But, uh, yeah, we, we don't know when the show is going to launch. I'll let you all know when it is going to launch. It will be... Uh, soonish, I guess. But yeah, how's this for coming off hiatus? Filling my plate up with another podcast and bringing Pitted back, and the Full Metal Lockdown podcast is back in full swing. Yeah, baby. Anyway, um, the Full Metal Lockdown podcast Facebook is always active, twenty four seven active. If you send me an inbox, I will reply. No matter what the content is, if you ask me to reply, I will reply. Uh, whether it is someone abusing me over the articles that I've written, or whether it's someone complimenting the show, don't give a fuck. I will reply. Uh, the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash formula lockdown. Or you just go to Facebook and search the Full Meta Lockdown podcast and it will come up. On Twitter, I am at the FML podcast. Uh, Gmail, I even have a very public email address to steal a line from Cole Cabana. It is fullmetalockdown at gmail.com. So if you want to leave me a line, if you're a uh, advertiser, or a sponsor, or just a person with a question... Shoot me an email, let me know. Uh, yeah. Uh, right now, actually, I'm going to throw it to the interview with Andy Marsh. The thing that everybody who's actually listening to this show has wanted to hear for the past, like, what, 30, 30 odd minutes? 31 minutes, roughly? Yeah, so instead of placating and instead of uh, taking up time, instead of annoying everyone doing all this shit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, here's my interview with Andy Marsh. Enjoy. On the line right now, I actually have uh, the guitarist for one of the hottest bands in Australia at the moment. They are is Murder. I have Andy Marsh on the line. Welcome to the show, Andy. Woo! How's it going? <laughs> Not bad. Sorry, I have to admit, I am a little bit nervous because I've been on hiatus since April, 
roughly because I've had a heaps of health issues. So this is my actual first interview in almost six months. Oh, I heard about this. I'm I'm glad that you're back on the horse, mate. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, in the uh, during the hiatus, I actually had a uh, baby boy, so that was great. Congratulations. Yeah, thank I you. I had a baby girl four weeks ago, so... Oh, really? Really? Is two, that... two, uh, two hashtag dad bods getting on the line <laughs> and talking about metal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is it your first kid? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've got a three-year-old as well, and the second one is harder to deal with because the first one always wants to play with them. Oh yeah, I've got a I've got a nine-year-old stepson as well, so it's uh you know gets interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my first question is, uh, I want you to. Tell me a bit about your history personally, especially in regards to metal. Why did you pick up the guitar and why did you start playing metal? Um, well, I didn't really set out to start playing metal um, or guitar, really. I, I played football my whole life. I played rugby union. Um, took it pretty seriously. Um, played school, state, national level. And I got a, a pretty horrific injury when I was 17 um, playing competitive rugby and broke, I don't know, basically it crushed every bone on the right side of my face and I uh, had to go in hospital for the better part of a year and get my body put back together by a bunch of surgeons. And I had nothing to do, couldn't play rugby ever again. Um, so I asked my mum kind of on a whim like to bring me guitar magazines when I was in the hospital. And uh, I started kind of trying to teach myself how to read, like, read tabs, even though I didn't have a guitar or know what a guitar was. Um, but I was, like, reading, you know, the instructions, like, oh, okay, so this, this on a tab means you put your fingers here on a guitar. So when I was finally out of the hospital um, and the, the school, I think, or the school's insurance or whatever that I was at gave, gave me, like, $5,000 insurance money for the injury, I, I bought a guitar and a little practice amp, and away I went when I was at university trying to teach myself guitar at 18 years old, not knowing a goddamn thing about music, and I just caught the bug, dropped out of uni three and a half years later, and just started touring the world. So you only picked up the guitar at 18 years old? Yeah, bit wow. of a late start, fortunately. Well, you picked it up well, I can say that much. Um, well, I had such a big hole in my life to fill so yeah I, people asked me this before and, and said you know don't you wish you played earlier it's like maybe if i played guitar all my life i wouldn't have had such a burning desire to to get good quickly you know exactly exactly my brother is a rugby union player as well he uh he's the same he's played schoolboys. uh he played for the antipodines which is uh australia new zealand in rugby union uh it's a schoolboys yeah. version of the Anzacs and they toured Europe he actually got to captain against uh, Scotland against Wales and I think Ireland as well and he was a number eight that got really big so he moved up to prop but uh, same thing knee injuries and now he's just too old to make a go of it you know yeah, it's playing one of those the... unfortunate unfortunate things you know yeah like, exactly the best players of all time never actually played injury yeah, 
Yeah. Not that I'm saying it's going to be one of the best. I was pretty average, but... <laughs> well, you sound pretty good by the sounds of it. Uh, are you following the World Cup? Uh, not really. Um, I had a little bit of time on the Parkway Tour that we just finished in Australia. Like, we were in a lot of hotels and whatnot, and they got cable TV. So, you know, getting back to the, the hotel room at 2 a.m., trying to go to sleep, I was watching a little bit of the rugby. And it was, it was you know, it was good to kind of to have a watch again. But it's kind of one of those things, I think, you know, once I was out of the game, it was too difficult to kind of keep watching it so i haven't i haven't followed it that much the last 10 years oh, fair enough well we're in the semis tonight against argentina oh nice the pumas yeah so it's gonna be a great the game the scrum is good against those guys because that's what they're known for yeah well yeah well i was shocked uh was it last week to see scotland get up against the uh wallabies i wasn't expecting no, no bloody way. Well, they they lost by one point, but they dominated the majority of the game. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, getting back onto the topic of hand, sorry about that. Uh, my family is rubbing you crazy, and when you brought it up, I jumped on it. Uh, what was the very first heavy metal album you ever bought? Oh, with my own money? Yeah. Probably Limp Bizkit, uh, Significant Other. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. That's kind of what made me want to, gave me an interest in guitar playing. So, like, uh, was that before or after Wes Borland? Uh, during Wes Borland, who I definitely admire as one of the, the most innovative guitar players of that whole new metal scene. Yeah. You know, uh, he was doing. He was making sounds out of a guitar that no one else was doing. I definitely think he was way better than those corn guitar players. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, he, I don't know. He was one guitar player in the band. Corn had two, and he was doing way more with his instrument than those two guys were doing. So. And the corn guitarists had two extra strings. Because they play. No, they, they, they play sevens, they played, don't they? They played sevens, and West Borland played seven strings also. Oh, did he? But he also played... Yep. He played Ibanez seven strings. He played PRS six strings. And he even... Because he's such a creative legend, he built his own guitar that had three strings and one bass string. What? Which he uh, he famously used on the song Nookie. Yeah, the dude's just an innovator, man. Like, he didn't give a shit about the rules. He, he's like, oh, I don't know. I want to make a song that sounds like this. So he just invented his own instrument. That is awesome. Like, I yeah, didn't, a lot I of didn't people, actually a lot of, know that. Very underrated individual, you know? And yeah. he did the artwork, everything for the Limp Bizkit records. The dude's just an, an artist through and through in all, yeah. in all aspects of it. I, I got the chance to actually see them perform live in 2012 at the Soundwave tour. And by far, to me, the best band of the day. That's psycho. I always wanted to see them. I've never seen them to this day. Oh, really? And we've played festivals that they've been that they've done in Europe, and I've always missed that set. Oh, that Heartbreak. sucks. Yeah. yeah, he lives in he lives in. I'm I'm not an obsessive fan. Okay, so let's, I'm not a stalker, but I'm his, I follow him on Instagram, yeah. and he lives in Detroit in the states, which is like two states over from where I live in Minnesota, 
And often he's on similar flights to me. I fly a lot. I probably fly 200-something times a year. And he's always flying as well, except he's flying in first class because he's a baller. And there's so many times where we've been at the same airport at the same time. I'm just like, damn it, like, I, I need to meet this guy. So, well, hopefully yeah. one day the, the like, clouds will open and then all of a sudden you'll run into each other on a terminal or something like that. Yeah, cross our fingers. I'll just say, hey, where's ball? And he'll be like, I don't know who you are. Go away. <laughs> so... Although, he could yeah. turn around and go, holy shit, it's Andy from They Art Is Murder. Nah, that's, that's never going to happen. That's <laughs> on another planet of genius. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you, you've touched on uh, Limp Bizkit as being an influence, Wes Borland. Uh, who are your your international influences? Like, uh, not just America, but all around the world. And are there any non-metal influences in your repertoire? Uh, as a guitar player or as a songwriter? Uh, both. Well, first of all, as a guitar player, then as a songwriter. Oh, as a guitar player, I mean, I don't really listen to guitar players anymore. I kind of, I think I've arrived at a place where I'm, I'm comfortable with what I can do on guitar. And if I'm not, then I know how to get comfortable on something on a sound that I want to make. Um, but when I, I used to practice a little bit, John Petrucci from Dream Theater was definitely like the go-to guy. This dude does the most ridiculous guitar pyrotechnics I've ever heard. Him and, uh, and another dude called Paul Gilbert, who used to play in a band called Mr. Big, um, which most musos might not know nowadays, but... For dudes that are into shred guitar, they're like the names that always come up in those circles. Yeah. Um, and then songwriting and ethic-wise, you know, like a lot of punk bands, um, a lot of political bands, Rage Against the Machine, Behemoth, Muse, bands that kind of uh, that meld tech, the technical aspects of music with emotional aspects, uh, which is a hard line to walk along, you know. Uh, most emotional music is fairly simple um, because they're trying to convey a feeling rather than some kind of crazy music theory. Um, and likewise, the most technical music generally doesn't convey that much emotion. So it's always been like a fine line of mine to kind of, of balance is the music impressive technically and, uh, and is it saying something that's real that, that is affecting the listener? Or the, the person that's writing it, like yourself. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what is the writing process in Layers Murder? Do you uh, write, write individually and then come together and then put it all together as one big thing? Or like, do you have a head writer in the band, or a dominant writer? Or like, what is well, the process? I'd say 95% individual. Um, for the different components, at least. Um, you know, nowadays, I live in America. I'm between Minnesota and New Jersey and New York on a fortnightly basis when I'm not on tour. Sean lives in Sydney, and he's the other the primary songwriter. Um, Lee lives in Brisbane, so they're not jamming every day. <laughs> so general process will go... Sean will have, like, an, an impetus, like an idea or a riff or something, and... He'll share it with me and Lee, and 
Lee will tell him that the drum parts suck because Sean's not a drummer and he's programming some dumb drum part. Um, or I'll tell him that I think it's great. Or I'll tell him that I think it sucks and throw it in the bin. The bin's like this thy art terminology. It's basically like an archive of riffs. It's like, oh, yeah, eh, throw it, put that one in the bin. doesn't mean throw it away. It just means put, put it, it somewhere. On, save it. Yeah. yeah. If if it's dog shit, it'll just be like, dude, that sucks. Don't uh, delete it now. You know, we're we're not precious like that. It's like, oh yeah, chuck that one in the bin. Oh, that one's sick. Keep that. Keep working on that one. But generally, Sean will come up with all the song starts and just all the majority of the song ideas, like musically, and then I write most of the lyrics. And uh, you know, it's it's changed. I mean, we've only done two records together as the four of us. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't really got a system down. The this this last one, Holy War, we kind of got more into the groove. Sean came up with music. I came through and and kind of edited and chopped it the way that I liked it. And if he liked what I did, he kept it. If he didn't, then he'd fight me on it and then he'd put it back the way it was, or he'd make it different again. And then Lee would say, "Oh, that drum bit sucks. I would never do that. I would do this instead." And he'll he'll mess around with the the drum programming in pre production. And then I'll write lyrics and uh, and come together with Will Putney, our producer, and we'll kind of do like a rap track over the music where we'll just talk the the way that we think that the lyrics would go, and then CJ comes in and, and does his bit over the top of it. So, does CJ write any of the lyrics, or is that mostly you? Oh, I don't want to say that he doesn't write lyrics. Um, I'd say that I contribute the majority of the the ideas i guess or the concepts we i mean we all talk about the concepts together yeah um you know a a lot of this the time and during holy war i would you know provide the concept but then we'd sit down together and talk about how to make it unique and make it like something that hadn't been sung about before so okay so what you're saying pretty much is that it, it, it is a real collective when it comes to writing for you guys. Absolutely. There are, there are some dominant writers, but it is, in the end, a democracy. Ab- absolutely. I mean, not an entire democracy, because I think Sean and I have a vision for certain things. But, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a very collaborative effort, um, despite certain people amassing a, a bunch of building blocks before we get together. When we put them together, we're all present and we all have our two cents. So, you know, it's, there's definitely no heroes in this band. We're all a team and we love each other and we work really hard together. Now, um, the only original left is Lee, isn't it? And Sean. Oh, and Sean. Because he changed instruments. It always throws me off. Cause he yeah, he's changing guitar, then bass, then guitar. Yep. Yeah. He's uh, bass, then guitar, then bass, then guitar again. Oh, really? So he switched a few <laughs> times. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Can't make up that guy. Do you think this will be the final incarnation of Thy Art Is Murder? Um. Who's to say? But the four of us, at least. I mean, we've got we've had Kevin Butler on bass guitar for the last year or so now, but at, at the very least, um, and he fits in well. We all love him and get, we get along great. We've been touring the world together for a while now, 
But at least the four of us, me, CJ, Sean and Lee, have been together for about six years now. Um, and, you know, that, we get along great. Kevin, Kevin fits in as well, like, perfectly fine as well. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, at the very least, the four of us have been together for a very long, t- very long time now. And I, I can't see that incartation changing whatsoever. All right, very good. Well, I have to admit, since uh, you joined the band roughly, was it 2010, 2011? Off the uh, top of my 2010. head. 2010. Uh, like, it's hard to say. They are as murder kind of picked up when you and CJ joined the band. If you know what I mean, like they were a great band beforehand, and I loved their music beforehand, but it just took a turn in a in a more crisp direction. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I think CJ and I are the two oldest, um, and he's a he's a, a a brilliant frontman. He's a world class frontman. I mean, I I I challenge you to try and find a better frontman in deathcore at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's a, a monster of a vocalist, and he's a great personality. I think what I definitely brought to the band was a vision. Um, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a, a direction, you're kind of just flapping your arms in the water and hoping to swim somewhere. Um, so I, I definitely think that I brought a, a sense of vision, direction, and focus to the band. And I had the raw talent that was Sean, CJ, and Lee and, and gave them some goals and said, hey, you guys are a great band, but what do you guys want to do with it? Yeah, and they were just like, I kind of, no one really thought about it before. <laughs> I was like, okay, join the band. I was like, let's write a record, and we're going to record with my friend Will Putney. And they were like, oh, okay, we don't know who that is. I was just like, shut up, we're going to record there. It was <laughs> awesome, and we did it, and it uh, changed the course of the band. Uh, so. I've been in a debate with a few different people. You mentioned before the genre. What genre is they are is murder? Metal. Metal. Just pure metal or like, because so many people go into the subgenre war and I, I just like metal in general, but, uh, (laughs) so many people go into the subgenre war. They're like, no, they're deaf grindcore or some shit like that. I'm just like, well, they're metal. Yeah, I mean, those dudes probably don't have lives that are (laughs) arguing about what genre of metal we are. Um, We got breakdowns, so I don't know if that makes us not death metal, but we got more death metal parts than probably a bunch of death metal bands, so does that make us more death metal? Like, I don't know. Are we a hardcore band because we got breakdowns? Like... It's it's getting a little bit ridiculous. I understand that that people's minds work in in paradigms and contexts, and people have a very limited scope by nature of what they what they can comprehend is is something. They have to label things because it has to fit into their framework of what the world is. And I'm not trying to be some free spirited hippie, but we're just a metal band. We play heavy music that we like, and some of the songs have breakdowns. Some of the songs don't have breakdowns. Like, call it whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't know. This this discussion has gone on with every band for the last ten years, and I feel that they have a similar response because they also don't give a shit like we don't. Like, we just write music. So, 
Yeah. You know, we're not sitting like on the internet trying to discuss what genre of music we're making. We're just making music that we like, just like our peers do. And unfortunately, some people have to try and force some kind of label upon it. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, one of the bands I've heard it debated about the most in the last decade is Parkway Drive. Yep. And to me, I've seen them live a few times. They're metal. They are. Yeah. They're metal and they are a rock band. Yeah, exactly. And by rock band, I mean that they are exciting and it is like ACDC and you go there and it is loud and it is fucking amazing. Yeah, and like they're, they're, they're rock stars in the sense, not the sense of I'm a rock star, fuck off. They're a sen- in the sense of they bring that bigger personality to the stage, if you know what I mean. Like they bring that, the persona of a rock star to the stage. And, like, yeah. when people argue with me over it, I'm like, well, they're not hardcore. I'm like, go back and look up what hardcore is. They're not hardcore. I'm like, they've got elements of it in there, but they're not hardcore. They're metal. Yeah, it's just band. But, um... Yeah, I... Sorry, what were you saying? No, they're, yeah, they're just a metal band. But... Definitely not rock stars. Yeah. I played guitar for Parkway for the last tour, so... Oh, did you <laughs> I'm really? Just, I'm just a loser from fucking Hawaii, so... <laughs> um, so speaking of Parkway, you're about to tour the States with them uh, on a few dates. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that you're allowed to talk about this, but uh, mm-hmm. can you explain the beef with Disney? Oh, yeah, we can talk about it. Fuck Disney. They're a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> so, poor Waltz turning over in his grave going, No, it matter. No, no, it is matter. No. And uh, so, I don't know. The, the corporate, and I understand, you know, it's a, it's a family-based corporation and, and they have, you know, their primary business is, is small children coming to see a mouse that does stuff. Um, so, anyways... The venue House of Blues in Anaheim, it falls on property that is owned by Disney. Mm. So Disney doesn't want to have posters around their site and on their venues that say murder. And I, I understand for what it is, you know, that, you know, if I had a, if I owned a, a child's playgroup, right, and yeah. I had the Wiggles coming in on Saturday... And they had a support act that was called Dieter's Murder. Maybe I don't want to let Dieter's Murder play, or at least I don't want to have Dieter's Murder on the poster because the parents aren't going to want to bring their kids to my playgroup. The kids aren't... They're going to be scared. Like, it creates a whole fucking schmuzzle of of conflict. So on that level, I do understand, you know. uh, We have to be respectful. The venue is on Disney property, and there are lots of children of... uh, know of a young age that are going to be present so i guess it just for it must be part of their blanket policy so they they look at bands names i'm not sure how comprehensive they are in their research whether they look into the band's lyrics or message or album artwork or what i think real really it just comes down to the band's name they don't want to have it posted around on the on the site i mean cattle decapitation some friends of ours have also been banned for playing disney venues oh really because it has decapitation in it yeah yeah so you know quite a lot it's it's quite common you know 
for at least in our genre of of more extreme metal that uh you know you don't get to play the venues that fall on a Disney property. So is that worldwide or is that just in America? Um, well, I don't know of any other Disneylands, but Florida, where Disney World is, and Disneyland in Anaheim, there's House of Blues venues that we were scheduled to play that fall on Disney property, and they're the ones that we cannot play. Okay. okay. So, um, so you're not actually sure if it includes Japan, because there's Disneyland over there, or is it Disney World? We haven't played Japan before, and I'm not quite sure whether the venues that we would play would be on Disney property. Oh, okay. So I can't. I don't know. Maybe there's a bit of a language barrier kind of grey <laughs> area that we can sneak through in there. And the Japanese might be a little bit more lenient towards that because they might understand the title of the band is not "I'm gonna murder you." It's different. It just says the word murder. If you know what I mean. Maybe. I love it. Yeah. I used to beach in a country called Malaysia where the Japanese came through and made people dig their own graves and they cut their heads off with samurai swords. So they definitely know a thing or two about murder, that's for sure. They might like the band. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so uh, I I have a question. I've had Dave Haley from Psychroptic and The Amentor and fucking a dozen other bands on the show before. Um I've actually got an uber amount of respect for that dude because he does so much fucking work in the industry. Uh, what was it like uh, having Psychroptic as a support on your headlining tour? That was great. Got a lot of respect for Dave and Joe and the work that Psychroptic's done in Australia and internationally yeah. and the reputation that they've given us extreme Australian metal. Um you know, it was an honour to have them them play with us. It's just a it's a shame that they've never made the moves, you know, to gain the traction internationally. Yeah. Because yeah. in in my eyes and in a lot of people's eyes, they're one of the top technical death metal bands of all time, and uh, we should be proud as Australians to call them our own. Yeah. Um. I I've got to admit, when I first saw it, I went, "What? Someone's headlining over Psychoptic," and then I read it was you guys. And having spoken to Dave, and he he uh, he couldn't praise they are as murder enough actually during the interview. And uh, having spoken to him, spoken to him before the tour was announced, I I kind of double checked their headlining band, and then I was like, "Oh, okay then." Uh, Pretty much, they're they're not just doing it to wank or whatever. They're doing it because they earned it. And Dave wouldn't put, and Joe and the rest of the band wouldn't put anybody up there unless they deserved it, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't their tour to offer us to support us. It was our tour to offer them to support us. Yeah. Um, And we're not stupid, you know. We've worked very hard. We've worked harder than any other metal band in Australia, undeniably. It's, it doesn't even come down to some kind of objective or subjective opinion. Like, I find me a band that's toured more than Vlada's Murder in the last three years internationally from yeah, Australia. Exactly. In any genre, you can't find one. And uh, I feel that that work ethic has, you know, justified our uh, our position and our our rise in popularity. And not to try and put out put Psychoptic underneath us whatsoever. Uh, they're a band that we res- have respected for years, 
and we believe deserves attention from Australian fans and globally from from fans of metal. And we feel that maybe they haven't been represented as well as they should have been by record labels or by managers. And so it's, you know, it's kind of, we see it as our responsibility to take bands that deserve respect and to put them on tours with us so that people that are paying attention to us because maybe we've got a bit of hype or a trendy band or we're doing well at the moment, you know, as a byproduct of coming to see us, they'll see other amazing bands. Exactly. And for those people out there, and I have about 2,000 subscribers, hopefully a few more gained through this episode. If you haven't listened to Sacroptic, they're on iTunes, they're on uh, pretty much anything that you can stream music on. Go check them out because like, they're one of Australia's hardest working and best metal bands to ever. They're Australia's best death metal, they're Australia's best death metal band of all time. Yeah. It's hands like, no one can touch them. For that straight from Andy Marsh, who, like, is a trusted authority on the subject, in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, Andy, who are your favourite Australian metal bands, either from the past or present? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't Psychoptic. tell you. <laughs> so, Psychoptic. sure. The Redshaw in their heyday, I think they are... Uh, you know, they definitely had the jump on that technic, more technical deathcore scene. It's just unfortunate they couldn't really capitalise on the momentum that they had. You know, it's it's unfortunate the the setbacks that they had, and those those guys that were and are still great friends of ours. And it's you know, it's a really a shame to see what kind of trickle down and domino effect such a catastrophic event can have on a band's career. Um, you know, they were doing things that no one else in Australia or in the world was doing. Um, you know, and obviously Psychoptic really kind of broke down barriers and and set the standard, not just for Australian metal, but for world metal. But yeah. because it was so close to home for, for us, you know, it was it was definitely a very big driving force. I mean, we had other fantastic bands like the Amenta, um, Portal from Brisbane, or another great underground band. So, you know, definitely into some very cool Australian metal bands. What about uh, bands like North Lane and King Parrot who are shredding it up alongside you guys in this day and age? Oh, yeah, the King Paz are all right. <laughs> They're some, some good mates of ours. We'd love to tour with them again. So oh, We haven't toured with them for about two or three years now. They've been grinding overseas. I actually see those dudes more in New York than I do at home. Um, they just never stop touring. Um, and then Northlane, I don't, I don't know. Not really. I used to like a lot of their stuff, but I'm not really into their, their new material, to be honest. But, you know, that's another band that deserves respect and, and all the applause that they have been getting. You know, they've worked tirelessly. Um, you know, obviously they had a singer change, and that's part of the reason why I'm not so into it. It's like slightly lighter direction you know i'm a metal dude so i want the screaming and the heavy stuff yeah yeah but you know they they're brilliant songwriters uh great people you know we came up in the same scene together i i wish them nothing but the best so you know it is great to to see them doing well overseas and it's definitely an, an honor to, to be nominated for an aria um, amongst your peers yeah I mean, uh, 
they had the number one album was on the Aria charts as well, and not just for yeah. metal, but like the number one album overall. Yeah, it's absolutely mental. Yeah, you know, it's a, a testament to the strength of the scene for that kind of music in Australia. Unfortunately, the heavy music scene's a little bit more segregated and not so supportive. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is great to see Australians getting behind Australian-born and bred music. Yeah. And also, it's a, it's a testament to the, the fantastic work that the team at Unified uh, does down in Melbourne. You know, it's an absolutely amazing record label to be a part of, and, and the guys down there and Luke Logerman and the team really grind out for their bands just like they have for us. So, I was going to actually know. say, Unified's your record label, isn't it? Or one of... For Australia. Yeah. For Australia. Yeah, and internationally, it's Nuclear Blast. Yep, Nuclear Blast Entertainment. Which was a huge thing when I saw that, when you got first got picked up by them. Because uh, that's the world's largest uh, heavy metal label as well. People don't realise that. People still think Roadrunner yeah, is, but... Yeah, it's, it's still an indie. Um, Roadrunner got acquired by Atlantic, who got acquired by Warner Brothers, so Roadrunner's a little bit less underground than you think they are. I mean, yeah. they signed Nickelback, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, but our A&R guy, Monty Connor, who is the most respected man in metal in the world today is just an absolute gem of a human being. He's the guy that kind of found our band and uh, contacted me and, and wanted to work with us. And he was the, the head of A&R at Roadrunner in the heyday, you know, yeah. talking about the guy that signed Machine Head and Sepultura and Slipknot. This is the guy that found those bands. Like, he knows metal. Yeah. He, he knows metal not as a trend. He knows metal as what, like, creates the trends. He's the he's the genius behind it, and he's an absolute, absolutely incredible human being. And and you know, in the the world of of music, where you hear so many horror stories about poor business and shady people, it's it's just it's an absolute pleasure to be able to work with someone who does music for the right reasons yeah. and has the best team behind him. You know. Yeah, I, I couldn't say enough good things about working with Nuclear Blast. It's, uh, we're, I don't know, we're just so grateful to be able to work with such an amazing bunch of people. Well, actually, you're not the first person that I've had on the show from the Nuclear Blast family, for lack of a better word. Oh, and they always speak higher phrases of Nuclear Blast, actually. And on that note, I've actually had a few former Roadrunner artists on the show as well and half of them actually can't speak lowly enough of Roadrunner however I understand everybody has individual experiences there are others that will speak just as highly as of Roadrunner but uh yeah, yeah. I don't know you have to find them yeah <laughs> uh, it's yeah mostly I see people saying how good uh Nuclear Blast is if, if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, another question off my uh, prepared sheet. Sorry, I've been going off topic heaps and just talking. Uh, what appeals you to metal? What made you want to join They Are Is Murder? Besides the obvious uh, reason. 
I don't know that there was an obvious reason. I don't know that there is now. That's um, pretty awesome. <laughs> Some musicians would give their left knot or the left ovary to join the band. I, uh, for me, to join the band, you know, I've just been trudging along in the Australian music scene, playing in metal and hardcore bands, um, you know, doing my own thing and being creative. But with Thy Art, I saw like a vehicle for taking a message and, and, and creativity and music to a, a larger scale. You know, the, the guys are insanely talented. Everyone in, in the band has their place, plays their instrument incredibly well and, and has a, a fantastic sense of creativity. So, you know, it finally, when the dudes offered me the job, I was, I was definitely stoked on it. I, I saw all the, I could see all the pieces falling into place before me two years in, in advance. I knew that it was going to be something that would work out well for all of us. Um, but in terms of what attracts me to metal, I think it's just the aggression. You know, I played football for so many years and got to tackle dudes, and then I got stuck playing a guitar, and I didn't want to be one of those pansy folk singers down at the coffee shop on a Sunday afternoon trying to direct my feels at people, just trying to get wasted on a Sunday. So it was definitely that, um, you know, there's this alternative lifestyle and culture that's associated with metal. Um, you know, a lot of things that resonated with me as a human being. So, yeah, it's a, a lot of things. Okay. So what was the process for joining They Are's Matter? Did they contact uh, you or did you contact them or how did it go down or did you know um, someone? I knew the band for a while. We uh, The band was signed to a record label from Brisbane where... I had a little recording studio based in the same building um, called Skull and Bones Records. And I'd known the guys for years. We'd done shows together and whatnot. And we were all really young back then. And then randomly one day they were up at the studio and I was just working. And they were, they had to get rid of someone for some reason. Someone in the band had to go. And they're like, oh, do you want to play in the band? I was like, well, when's the, when would I have to, when's my first gig? And they're like, oh, in eight hours. <laughs> So I got in the van with them and they gave me a guitar and they taught me the songs on the way to the gig. So it wasn't too different to how I had to fill in for Parkway the other day. Jeff bloody hurt his hamstring. They're like, oh, you've got to learn 15 songs. You've got like a couple of days, so let's make it happen. <laughs> so trial by fire, essentially. Yeah, it's the only way. Yeah. I wouldn't have the patience otherwise to sit around and wait to learn stuff. I'd rather <laughs> just get it done. I have a, an immense propensity for learning volume information with a lot of speed, so I'd rather get it done than sit around and try and learn a song a week. That would just kill my enthusiasm, I think. Yeah, that's fair enough. That would kill anyone's enthusiasm, I think. Um, this is my favourite question that I ask almost every show, and... Uh, some people have deep and meaningful answers. Some people have very, I don't know, answers. Uh, but what music did your parents listen to? Was it heavy at all, and how did it influence you? They did not listen to music, and I was not allowed to listen to music in my household. So I couldn't tell you. 
Really? Is there yep. a specific reason for that, or you don't want to go know. into it, or psychos? Oh, okay. No, I, both my parents are military. I come from a very military family, so you know, pretty straight and down the narrow. Okay. So when you became the guitarist for a pretty heavy band, what did your parents think? Uh, I don't speak to one of my parents. Well, I haven't for half my life. But the other one, my mother, came to her first show 23 days ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, it blew her fucking mind. In a good way, or...? I don't even know. I don't <laughs> even care. I, she was just... She was fascinated. She, like, not even the music, because, I mean, obviously it's not her thing. She's, what, 55? She's not She's not thrown down in the pit to a deathcore band. But, you know, the, the whole scene, the fact that there was, there's people there and they know the songs and, and the culture of it, she's like, wow, there's... You guys have T-shirts and there's security and people are trying to... You know, like stage, like she's not stage diving is. Like people are trying to jump onto the stage, and people are trying to jump off of the stage, and there's people there to catch them, and like all the other stuff that, you know, I've been going to shows since I started playing guitar, and you know, it's just that kind of stuff that you take for granted. That you know, that's part of my world now. That's always been part of it as an adult, and it always will. And it's just that's that's what my life is. But for some normie like my mum to come down to the river stage and see 5,000 metalheads losing their minds, it blew her away. She's like, wow, you have a, what's this, the green room? Like, she's like, wow, this is cool. You have a room to yourself? I'm like, yes, mother. She's like, wow, they bring you beer? I'm like, yes, mum. Like, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, she, she had no idea. Like, just all this, like, PA, like. Oh, they they have to have big speakers. Like, who does that? I'm just like, yeah, right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, mum. This isn't a bunch of dickheads playing down at the local RSL. Like, <laughs> <coughs> I have to admit, like, I I no longer play music for the public. I play for myself. But I uh, I've got a. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, during the course of the interview, my words slur sometimes, and and I can barely even walk. I actually have a very heavy physical disability, uh, but um, for that reason, I stopped playing music. But uh, my parents freaked out one time when I got a support act, and I played at a festival, and I played in front of, like, 5,000 people, and I signed autographs at the end. And my mum was like, holy shit, he's signing autographs. And that's yeah. what she picked up from it. Like, people actually yeah, the, want my autograph at the time anyway. They wouldn't now. But, like, that freaked her out. She was like, what the fuck? People yeah. wanted to cherish my signature, pretty much. Yeah, it's all those weird little things that we take for granted because we do them every day, but people that have never stepped foot into this world it's fascinating for them and that's you know it's pretty interesting for me to see that so that uh that lack of music when you're being brought up and uh 
and all the other stuff that went on when you were coming up, did that influence the the way you write for Thy Eyes Murder? Nah, not at all. It didn't? <laughs> nah. <coughs> I didn't have a, a creative bone in my body to give until I started playing music, and then all of a sudden I had the outlet. It was I had the, the inspiration to, to feed the outlet, I guess. You know, um, it's, I don't know, it's like a painter that doesn't know what a paintbrush is, but he's a painter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But when you give him one, he knows what to do with it. He just never knew what it was in the first place. It's kind of a really weird open-ended analogy, but like, <coughs> I wasn't drawing pictures or writing books or anything. I wasn't doing anything creative. I was just doing maths and playing rugby. <laughs> So I, I got a guitar and then I, you know, all of a sudden I had this outlet that uh, that seemed appropriate for me to put stuff in though. So, you know, nothing that came before me playing guitar influenced anything that came since I played guitar. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned before that you write a lot of lyrics for the band. Did it influence in, th in that way at all? Or is that not affected by it either? Uh, um, more more so in like an not by the, the situational uh, things that happen, but more like the anecdotal things. So I've I've definitely written lyrics about about my upbringing and whatnot, but yeah, not uh, I haven't drawn on the experience of not listening to music to write lyrics. Okay. Okay. Um. So. Do you write much when you're on tour, like personally or as a band? Do you just uh, use that time that you might be sitting in a hotel room waiting for a show to start to go, hey, I was thinking about this, and then throw together a song? Or uh, do you not do that very much? No, I prefer, if I'm writing music, I prefer to sit down to write music and set aside a couple of hours. Um, Sean's just a, a raw talent of songwritingness for, for music. He might, uh, he might have an idea one day and he'll just record that straight away. Cause he knows that it's a great idea. Um, and then, you know, some days that idea might end there or some days he might just sit down and record a whole song in 20 minutes or in three hours. And then some days he'll, you know, when we're not on tour, he'll just take off to the beach for, his, his grandma or something has like a, a, a small holiday house at like a camping park or something on the coast, on the central coast. So he might go out there for a week and hang out with his nan and just write one song in a week or 10 songs in a week, you know. Um, lyrically, I kind of, I kind of wait for the concepts to come to me, um, you know, because it's at this point in the game, even for our own band, let alone for the genre of metal as a whole, it's pretty difficult to come up with concepts that have like a unique take on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the more generic, the duality of man and atheism and, and whatnot. Um, you know, it's not so much that the idea needs to, to be revised because the ideas are strong and, and they, they're still as valid as they ever was, but presenting them in a way that will interest someone uh, in this day and age or, or reinvigorate those kind of feelings in someone that's heard it all before 
that's more of the challenge is is how to twist the story to to make it uh exciting again hmm. and and that takes time you don't just sit down and think about that you, yeah it comes yeah. it comes to you eventually through natural recourse it's kind of like being a creative advertiser you don't sit down and come up with a genius idea you they're those people that sit around playing video games in an office and then aha there's the genius moment like inspired by something completely unrelated yeah. were there any of those moments on your new album holy war yeah for sure i mean i i, I have an iphone like 99 percent of the western world um and it has this little app in it called notes or notepad or whatever the hell it is i don't know i use it all the time uh notes it's called notes it looks like a little yellow notepad and whenever i have an idea i just open notepad create a new notepad thing and write down the idea or write down the lines or the the lyrical twist that i've come up with um going all the way back down to 2012 i still have it for the ones on hate in my phone um yeah so you know i just jot the ideas down or if i'm on a plane and I'm reading a book and I see a line that's cool or inspires me, I'll write that down, I'll revisit it and be like, why did this catch my attention? Um, I guess probably the most unique ideas on Holy War, at least, are the, the one for Foreign Claw, which is like, it's a pretty generic kind of standpoint to say, oh, man is killing all the animals, we're wiping out our, our environment and that's making it difficult for animals to survive and and it's destroying you know their habitats and whatnot that's pretty generic i mean it's it's still relevant it's still fucking important i mean we're killing basically all the life that's left on the planet mm. but that doesn't shock people because people are idiots and uh until had that song stink fist that was about desensitization you know finger deep elbow deep shoulder deep you know we just keep fucking getting right in there and we're deeper and deeper and we don't even realize because it's a gradual thing it's like putting the frog into a pot of cold water and turning the heat on slowly yeah so you know but that's not to say that the point isn't still valid and it's and it, that it's not important because it is so you have to present data in a new way that creates interest in the listener and instills in them like a sense of uh, importance and maybe a drive to go and research further so you know writing a song like Throne Claw, it's like, oh, we're killing all the animals. Hey, wiping out all the animals, destroying all the planet. Pretty generic. I mean, we've written songs like that before ourselves. And we're a small band in a very big scene of metal where lots of people are pissed off about that shit and writing the same thing. So Throne Claw takes the standpoint that rather than us killing all the animals, the animals are committing suicide because they'd rather kill themselves than live with us which is kind of like this really macabre uh, point of view and twist on things. It's like, if I don't know you that well, but say Thomas Roberts goes out and murders someone, it's like, oh, whoa, you're pretty brutal, Thomas. You killed your parents. Like, you're a sicko. But if your parents killed themselves and they said, we killed ourselves because we hate you so much and what you do offends us that we'd rather die than live on the planet with you. That's really upsetting. That's absolutely mortifying for anyone to think 
that somebody that they love would kill themselves because they can't stand to live with you. Yeah. And so that's the twist that we put on with the animals. It's like, we're not wiping them out anymore. They're just fucking killing themselves because we make them sick. Yeah. And that's, that's disturbing. That's more disturbing than saying, look at us killing two million chickens a day. Yeah. And my family's got a rich history of uh, beekeeping. Uh, My uncle's... Uh, my my grandfather was one of the founding beekeepers of Capilano Honey, which is one of the biggest oh, be- uh, one of the biggest honey companies in Australia. And Ryan from the Amity Affliction, the drummer, his dad used to work at Capilano Honey. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he was like one of the presidents there. Yeah, my uh, uncle was a former president there as well. But uh, that's the thing: the honeybee to go down this track, the honeybee. People don't realize that they're almost on the endangered species list, and if they all die off, then uh, cross pollinization no longer happens, which means Absolutely. that plants die, which means that oxygen dies, which means humans die, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's crazy. On my, uh, I think it was Einstein that said seventy odd years ago, "If the bees die, we die." Yeah. Um, and I've loved bees since I was a kid. My mum taught me how to keep bees as pets. Um, but on the inside of my left forearm, I have a, a, a bee. And on its thorax is a, a skull. And it's my whole thing. If the bees die, we die. Yeah. It's like the death bee. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to uh, go into that where you were talking about the subject that for some... The uh the the interview has gone onto that subject, but yeah, that's actually a very close personal thing with my family, and also like ninety percent of my family's income comes from beekeeping. So, if things oh. like that happen, they're screwed in more oh, ways yeah. than one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, where is your? Sorry, I'm going back to my interview questions to try and get it back. Slightly on topic. <laughs> uh, where is your favourite town to play a gig? Is it in Australia or is it in Europe or is it in America where you live? Uh, it's in Australia. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say there's a couple. I like playing in New York. I like playing in Detroit. Um, I like playing in London and Southern California. So, why? What makes it so special to play at those places? Good crowds, a rich history of music culture has made <coughs> made them more, uh, I don't know, discerning fans of music, I feel. They know what a live show is and they know how to enjoy a live show. Fair enough. So, uh, what is your best experience or worst experience at a metal show, either as a musician or as a punter? Uh, either way, like, uh, is worst it getting free experience. things or th- stuff like best, that? I don't know. Best experience is getting to travel. Yeah. I like traveling. I travel every day of my life. So, you know, if I hated it, probably the wrong industry for me to get into. And worst experience happened the other day. 
the uh, I was playing guitar for Parkway Drive, and the guitars have been flown back from New Zealand. I don't know who they flew with. I flew Qantas, who were sick, but they uh, they flew with someone I don't know, and like the guitar kind of got damaged in flight, and the intonation was really badly out. And I've gone on stage to play the encore for Parkway Drive, which is a band that definitely inspired me to pursue playing live music. Play the encore, and it's just me playing solo guitar by myself. They shine a big light on me, and that's it. And I've got handed this guitar, and I play the first chord, and it's fully out of tune in front of about 6,000 people. Oh. So... No pressure, you know, that fully sucks. Wow. That, uh, yep. that is probably... I think... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's nothing I could do about it. I think the, the the band ended up sending the guitars back to the company or something and said, fix this. This is an issue. Wow. That yep. is probably the uh, biggest answer I've had to that question out of all the interviews I've done. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't any fault of yours. It was the guitar and the the airline's fault. Kind oh, of. yeah. Yeah. But, uh... Travel, mess with the guitar, that's for sure. That's brutal. Were you... What, how did you recover? Did you just keep playing, or did you stop and then get a new guitar? Uh, I just kept playing, and thankfully the rest of the band kind of understood what was going on and came into the the rest of it a little bit early. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and also I transposed the guitar part as best I could to other frets. To try and keep it in tune as much as possible. Savage some intonation, yeah. Uh, at least draw the listener's ear back into key. It was horrible. <laughs> So, um, what what city was that on the tour? That was Sydney. Sydney, Sydney. I actually, yeah. I actually had friends at that show. I was uh, actually supposed to be there, but I, no, I couldn't get there. Uh, my friend sure bought the out of tune guitar. I will, I will. When uh, a band that I helped mentor, they're called Terrorvorus. They're They've only played like five gigs, but they've already supported Cancer Bats on their recent tour of Australia. And uh, they're actually really... They remind me musically of a lot of uh, Thy Artists Matter, actually. But uh, they, they were all at that show, and uh, they they couldn't speak highly enough of you guys. Their lead singer's favourite band of all time is Parkway. But uh, they couldn't speak highly enough of Thy Artists Matter. No, that's great. So how does that feel, knowing that you're influencing the next generation of metal that is coming up? Um, I don't know. I try not to think about it, to be honest. Um, I'm sure the people that came before us didn't really think about it too much either. I'm just trying to make cool art. And uh, I guess if it's cool enough, other people will like it. So, uh... We're coming to the end of the interview, and I will uh, let you get back to sleep at the end of it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, for those of you who don't realise, Andy's in New York. I'm in Batemans Bay in Australia. Right now in New York, it's what? What a lovely place. 
It's yeah. Bateman's Bay, also the home of Ryan and Ryan Burt from the Amity Affliction. Oh, really? He grew up there, yep. He's a good friend of mine. That's why I'm dropping all these Ryan Burt facts on you. <laughs> Ryan Burt. How old is he? Uh, he'd have to be my, close to my age, 28 maybe. He's actually down the road playing a show and, or just played it. I'm making it. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept in two days. But he was playing in Philadelphia tonight, so I missed the show. Oh. About two hours down from New York. Actually, I might... Because I'm 26 and I grew up in Batemans Bay as well, so the chances are I actually know him. Yeah, they are. He's got younger brothers too, that probably your age. Yeah. Well, I probably went to school with him and I didn't even realise. Because really? I've never really? made the connection. Oh, wow. I'll have to look into that. Uh, yeah. So, the I've got two questions left. Uh mm-hmm. Do you have any social media plugs? It's a really easy question. Do you have a Twitter for the band? Do you have a Twitter personally? Facebook, Instagram, website, label and sponsor shout-outs? I've got everything. I've got Viart, Instagram. Uh, Viart is murder Twitter. I don't know what our Facebook is. Viart is murder. Pretty sure. Yeah, I, I think it's Viart is murder, all one word. It definitely is. Um, I don't know. I've got my personal account, but you know what? Qantas has been following me and liking my photos, so I've made it. No, very cool. <laughs> so I don't need any more followers. <laughs> I just post photos of my daughter anyway, so everyone will probably get sick of it. Um, I don't know. Shout-outs to fucking Ibanez Guitars. They make pretty sweet guitars. That they do. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> cool. And the final question is what I end every interview on. I've asked everybody from Dino Cazares right down to Dave Haley at the very first show. I've asked uh, Derek Boyer from Suffocation. It's a multiple choice question, and you get to pick one of the four. So, uh, A... You get to ask me a question of any kind. B, B asks a really strange or weird question that is in no way related to music. And they usually are really weird or underpants related. Uh, C, give me the quote of the week for next week's show. Or D, pick the song of the week for this week's show. Oh, let's go B, C, D. <laughs> you can only pick one. Oh, I don't care. You pick. I've got something great for all of them. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, fuck it. Do them all. Well, what was B? Weird question. Wait, you asked me a weird question, don't yeah. you? All right. What have you got for me? What Have you got a question prepared? Uh, no, I don't. I usually... I should start preparing them, but I usually come up with them on the top of my head. I try to anyway. Thinking, you know, so Very cool question. Have you ever given someone pink eye? And for those who don't know, you have to be bare ass to give someone pink eye. I don't know if I've successfully given someone pink eye, but God knows I've bloody tried. <laughs> Lee Stanton and I have farted on each other's faces more times than you want to know. Fair enough. Bare assed. So there's that one. And uh what C was, give me the quote of the week for next week's show. 
oh, quote that I live and die by, probably going to be the title of the next album. Fear is born of hope, so if you're hopeless, you're fearless too. Wow. Quote is by me, trademark. <laughs> so is do you think that will be the title of the next album? I don't know, it's a bit wordy. I've gotta I've gotta conceptualize that down over the next year or so. Maybe a two parter album. Split nah, in two. Nah, nah. Like that's a mesmerized hypnotized thing. But no one's ever said that before. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh Google. Um and D was pick the song of the week for this week's show. It can be any band as long as it's metal. Banana to Blow by a band called Ween. What was it, sorry? Bananas and Blow. Bananas and Blow by Ween. Yep, okay. W-E-E-N. It's an incredible, uplifting song. Ah, I actually haven't heard that one. So uh, we'll give it a listen and we'll be on the show straight after this interview is. Oh, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> This was uh, a special extended interview, by the way. Sorry about that. I didn't actually mean to have you on the phone for over an hour. It was actually only supposed to be 40 minutes. But, uh, yeah, we got talking. And I like it when interviews become like a bit of a natural conversation type thing. Well, because you get more access to the psyche of the person you're interviewing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's way more exciting. I'd rather listen to this than listen to some boring interview. Oh, thank I mean, not with not with me, not personally, my interview of myself, but I'd rather listen to you talk shit with someone that I wanted to know about than, hey, uh, question A, answer B, okay, next question. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, feel free to uh, check out my other episodes if you want. I'm available on, YouTube, on iTunes. Uh, that's about it, really. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the, one of my episodes has crashed because it's been downloaded too many times and I can't figure out how to get it back online. And I'm trying my right. hardest to. That was uh, with AJ Matter last year. Oh, dude, that'd be all time. Yeah, speaking of which, he's agreed to be on the show again after the first Soundwave announcement. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess the interview's never going ahead then. <laughs> By the sounds of it, I think it might not. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that. It'll eventually come ahead. out. It was apparently he's just pissed off because uh, music feeds and a few others keep announcing that it's going to be on this date to try and force him to. So he's like, "Well, fuck you." And yeah. having spoken to him, he's got ADD, so he's very much a fuck off kind of guy. So uh, yeah. he took offence to them pretty much announcing it for him, so he's delaying it as long as possible. It's going to start hurting his ticket sales, uh, I reckon. Oh, well, he's going to kill it anyways. <laughs> so this has been Andy Marsh from They Art Is Murder. Thank you again for being on the show, Andy. No worries. Uh, you're welcome back anytime you want, Eve. If you want, <laughs> any member of they are is murder. It's an open invitation. They welcome any day of the week on this show, even though it only airs oh. once a week. Uh, thank <laughs> you again, and no worries. Uh, have fun over in the states. And you, you live Thanks you live that. there permanently. 
Oh yeah, I'm an American citizen. Oh, cool. And uh, congratulations on the new Bob as well. And uh, yeah, yeah you too, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, you for will. being on the show. No worries. You take it easy. The song of the week this week is a song called Bananas and Blow by a band called Ween, as chosen by this week's guest, Andy Marsh. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Sorry it was a little, I'm penned hard to the right, he's penned hard to the left. It was the way it was recorded and I couldn't fix that. Unfortunately, I'll try and fix that for next time. Uh, so yeah, this is Bananas and Blow by Ween. Not exactly metal, but it was still chosen by Andy. Uh, we're gonna end the show straight off this. So, uh, yeah, check the Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash full metal lockdown or the Twitter at Tom, at the FML podcast on Twitter, uh, to find out who the guest for next week's show is going to be. Future guests that have confirmed that they're going to appear on the show, but I don't know when they're going to appear on the show. The big one is AJ Matter, as was said in the interview with Andy. Anyway, uh, this is the song of the week as chosen by Andy Marsh. This is Bananas and Blow by Ween.
I love you.